What's the true scale of China's COVID-19 outbreak? A leaked document from the country's top health body gives insight. The same agency halting updates of daily infection numbers, the country no longer counting its total patient numbers. No more quarantine requirements for China's incoming travelers. That's despite an explosion of new cases overwhelming hospitals and funeral homes. The hospital is just overwhelmed from top to bottom. And Beijing sending over 70 warplanes near Taiwan in just 24 hours. Tensions brewing after President Biden approved the latest U.S. support for the island. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart, in for Tiffany Meyer. How big is China's recent COVID-19 explosion, really? Leaked meeting minutes from the country's top health body puts the daily infection rate in the tens of millions. We look at the details. It's hard to know China's actual numbers when it comes to COVID, as the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, has hardly been forthcoming since the pandemic started. But according to leaked minutes from an internal meeting of China's National Health Commission last week, officials say about 250 million people were infected with the disease in the first 20 days of December. That's about 18% of China's population. The figure is exponentially higher than the regime's official virus tally. Bloomberg and other media outlets confirmed the notes with anonymous officials involved in the discussions. A screenshot of the conference notes circulating online shows the virus apparently spinning out of control, especially in Beijing and southwestern China's Sichuan province. It appears to have hit over half of the residents in those areas. After nearly three years of strict zero-COVID policy, the Chinese people have been left with little natural immunity against the CCP virus. The minutes cited 12 major Omicron subvariants found in China. The three listed most prevalent are BA 5.2, BF7 and BM7. How the agency arrived at these figures remains unclear, as the country abandoned mandatory mass virus testing earlier this month. But the numbers do appear consistent with anecdotal evidence of a spike in infections and deaths nationwide, including among the CCP's elite circle. The numbers also align with analysis by UK researchers projecting up to 279 million cases nationwide, with up to 2.1 million deaths. The virus surge has overloaded morgues and hospitals across China. Experts predict the peak in the whole country will come in January, when tens of millions of people travel across China to celebrate the Lunar New Year with family. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. China's top health body is no longer publishing daily COVID-19 infection numbers. The move comes as the country sees a massive surge in virus cases and amid skepticism that the official toll doesn't reflect the true scale of the outbreak. The country's top health body, called the National Health Commission, said another agency would take over the task, China's CDC. The CDC is a lower authority compared to the NHC. It's unclear how often the CDC would publish the COVID-19 reports. The agency traditionally only publishes monthly updates. China also no longer tallies its total number of infections. Authorities have shut down PCR testing booths nationwide, adding they will stop gathering data on asymptomatic cases. Meanwhile, the CCP virus continues soaring. The CDC of China's eastern Zhejiang province published estimates over the weekend, saying that right now a million people in the province are getting infected daily. That's with the CCP virus, which causes COVID-19. The agency adds that the province's peak of infection rates is due in about a week, around New Year's Day, and that those numbers will last for one week. The CDC also noted that during the peak, 
the province's daily infection rate would rise to 2 million. These estimates are based on virus tracking and testing of communities in the province. Over in Sandong province, local CDC officials said Friday that they're seeing around 500,000 daily infections there and that over the weekend, that figure would rise by about 10 percent. Also on Friday, CDC authorities in the southern province of Guangzhou warned the peak of the outbreak is around the corner and that with more than 250,000 new infections appearing locally every day, that number is growing. These three provinces are among the most populous in China. Together, they're home to around 300 million Chinese citizens. Experts predict the COVID-19 peak for the country as a whole will arrive in January. That time also marks peak travel season in China. Every year, tens of millions take vacations or go to visit loved ones in celebration of the Lunar New Year holiday. China is ending its quarantine requirement for travelers coming into the country. Starting January 8th next year, passengers arriving in China no longer have to go through mandatory quarantine. This as the country sees a massive surge of virus infections, with multiple regions reporting at least hundreds of thousands of new infections daily. Chinese leader Xi Jinping is calling on authorities to do what's, quote, feasible to help patients. Next, let's take a closer look at how China's hospitals are coping. Reports say many are overwhelmed. Patients even risk being turned away in some areas due to a lack of beds and resources. Here's more. Hospitals in China are under siege from a new wave of COVID cases. One in Shanghai said it expected half of the city's 25 million people to get infected by the end of the week after Christmas. In Beijing, healthcare workers said patients might have to be turned away due to a lack of beds and resources. Howard Bernstein is a doctor at the city's United Family Hospital. The hospital is just overwhelmed from top to bottom. So, you know, the, the ER filled up with people. A lot of them got admitted to the hospital. They're not getting better in a day or two, so there's no flow. Um, and therefore, people keep coming to the ER, but they they can't go upstairs into hospital rooms, um, so they're stuck in the ER. The new upsurge comes after President Xi Jinping's communist regime suddenly abandoned strict measures aimed at stamping out the virus. State media say frontline workers have been told to work while sick and while retired staff have been brought back in some areas. Workers in two of China's biggest cities are going back to the grind. That's as the country battles the ongoing COVID-19 surge and with millions already infected and hospitals and funeral homes overwhelmed. Let's zoom in. There were signs that mainland China's biggest cities were edging closer to living with COVID-19 on Monday with packed morning subway trains in Beijing and Shanghai. People mostly stayed home in the weeks after China scrapped its ruthless zero COVID restrictions as they tried to avoid the disease or dealt with an infection. China is the last major country to move towards treating COVID as endemic. Now the virus is infecting millions there left largely unchecked across the country while residents have returned to commuting to work. I am prepared to live with the pandemic. After all, lockdowns are not a long-term solution. Shanghai streets in particular, even with just a handful of cars on the road, were a sharp contrast to April and May. That's when the city endured a strict and bitter lockdown and hardly anyone went outside. China had reported no new COVID deaths for the six days through Sunday, 
However, health experts and residents worry that China's statistics do not reflect the actual number of fatalities. Analysts say the economy, the second biggest in the world, is expected to suffer further in the short term. After zero, COVID slowed China's growth to its lowest rate in nearly half a century. Is Omicron to blame for the virus surge that's wrecking havoc in China? Or is there another subvariant spreading alongside it? Some patients are showing symptoms that don't usually appear when sick with Omicron, but that did show up widely in Wuhan when the pandemic first broke out. Here are the details. Reports from Chinese hospitals are raising an unexpected concern. The lungs of some COVID-19 patients are appearing white on CT scans, indicating lung infection. But Omicron is widely known not to attack the lungs, which makes it less dangerous than other variants. In the past few days, people have flocked to Chinese social media Weibo with similar reports that some of those infected with COVID-19 were also diagnosed with severe pneumonia. CT scans show parts of their lungs turned white. The appearance means the lungs are infected, posing danger to affected patients. The so-called white lung syndrome was a typical symptom found in Wuhan City at the beginning of the pandemic. Those who've shared the news online include medical staff, family members of the deceased, and patients themselves. Among those showing the symptom was the father-in-law of a well-known Chinese scholar. He died last week of COVID-19-related pneumonia. His CT scan showed one-fourth of his lungs had already turned white. And there's more. A doctor in Beijing recorded the process of how a 70-year-old patient's lungs turned white via CT scans. The patient died one day after the infection reached his lungs. Back online, a medical worker from eastern China's Jiangsu province shared a set of related photos on social media site Weibo. The pictures came from the CT scans of two white lung patients. One of them showed a high degree of fibrosis of the lungs. It was so advanced that the shape of the lungs became obscured. The medical worker wrote he's seen more white lung patients lately than since he studied medicine in college. Over 130 sublineages of Omicron detected in China within three months. That figure comes from a Chinese state media report published last week, citing Xu Wenbo, the head of the National Institute for Viral Disease Control and Prevention. Xu explained that variants known as BQ1 and XBB are new sublineages of Omicron. They're more transmissible and more capable of infecting vaccinated people, though they don't pose significantly higher mortality rates. Hustle and bustle at a Christmas market in Shanghai on Christmas Eve, despite much of the country struggling to cope with the ongoing virus surge. Two young people who recently recovered from COVID-19 shared why they came to the market. My friends were basically all testing positive, and I've recovered, so we wanted to take advantage of Christmas. And it's the weekend. We wanted to walk around and enjoy the air. Christmas isn't considered a holiday in China. But for young people in big cities, it's become trendy to spend the time with friends. But this year, walking shoulder to shoulder through the market comes with some concern. Of course we're worried, because there are people who might be positive for COVID-19 or already recovered. I'm worried for those who haven't tested positive yet. For us, the first batch of people who tested positive for COVID-19, we endured it with a lot of effort. In a post on Chinese social media, a hospital in Shanghai shared an update last week, 
writing that COVID-19 cases were surging in the city and that until the end of the year, 12.5 million people will get infected locally. That's half the city's population. Sending over 70 warplanes toward Taiwan in just 24 hours, Beijing is upping its pressure on the island after Washington carved out new support for Taiwan in the defense spending bill. NTD's Iris Tao has the latest updates. Kicking off military drills, sending a record number of fighter jets, firing off a diplomatic statement, China is blasting the U.S. over its latest show of support for Taiwan. This comes after President Biden last week signed an over $800 billion defense bill. The bill would authorize up to $10 billion in military aid to Taiwan with the aim of helping it deter aggression by Beijing. While Taiwan praises the passage of the bill, the Chinese Communist Party is firing back with threats. According to Taiwan's defense ministry, within just the last day, China sent 71 warplanes toward the island, mounting to the largest reported incursion to date. China then called the drill a response to collusion and provocations by Taiwan and the U.S. The White House, meanwhile, is condemning China. According to the Associated Press, a spokesperson for the National Security Council says China's latest activity is destabilizing, risks miscalculations and undermines regional peace and stability. The official, who commented anonymously, added that the U.S. will continue to assist Taiwan in maintaining its efficient self-defense capability in line with the U.S.'s longstanding commitments. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. Coming up, former Chinese Communist Party Chief Jiang Zemin is dead, but the persecution campaign against the spiritual group that he initiated in 1999 lives on. What other groups fall victim? And what lingering effects has it had on a Chinese society? You don't have freedom. You don't have freedom of, like, if you see that the government can turn on 100 million people that all, that all believe in, you know, truthfulness, compassion, tolerance, what are they going to do to you? What chance do you have? We spoke with Ben Maloney, Digital Outreach Director of Falun Dafa Information Center, to find out. His comments and more after the break, here on China in Focus. Jiang Zemin, former top leader of the Chinese Communist Party, died last month. But don't mourn him. That's the message from Digital Outreach Director of the Falun Dafa Information Center, Ben Maloney. He says the ex-CCP head was responsible for one of the largest persecutions in world history. If you look at a lot of Western outlets now reporting on his death, they'll talk about things like joining the WTO and a lot of the things about opening China, quote unquote. But actually, domestically um, and internationally, he should best be remembered for starting the persecution of 100 million Chinese citizens, who at that time in 1999, the amount of Falun Gong practitioners was about one out of every 13 Chinese people. Jiang came up the ranks after the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre. Three years later, experts believe he got spooked by one spiritual group's ability to attract tens of thousands of followers, including military officers. And when the rise of Falun Gong happened from 92 to 99, it was the largest spiritual movement in Chinese history. So you have zero to 100 million people, more people than were in the Chinese Communist Party, you know, it's literally, it's really hard to explain to people that are in the West, but it was permeating every aspect of Chinese life. Imagine driving in any U.S. city, you look out in a park and you see people doing Qigong exercises. That was Falun Gong. People all around Zhang and the Politburo were practicing Falun Gong. So it was permeating everywhere. 
they had these values of truthfulness, compassion, tolerance. And Zhang didn't believe in any of those values, actually. He believed in corruption. He believed in, you know, power and money. And so he famously um, would have the saying of, like, you know, like corruption and money kind of over everything. And so in 1999, he decided, you know, by himself through jealousy and because he just felt like Falun Gong was this kind of existential spiritual threat or threat in his mind to start the persecution of Falun Gong. But when he did that, he had a famous quote, which was to defame their reputations, bankrupt them financially, and destroy them physically. So that was his plan for Falun Gong. And the way that he did that was he first started with the propaganda arm. So all the state-controlled media, at that time they're building the Great Firewall, so you have to turn the populace against Falun Gong. And they did that in a variety, tried to do that in a variety of ways over the course of many years, um, which is very effective in a country that, that has total control over the media. And so that took some time. They started to do that. At the same time, um, to uh, bankrupt them financially, you know, people are losing jobs for practicing Falun Gong. Kids can't go to school. People are becoming homeless. And then to destroy them physically, there's massive, um, you know, crackdowns and uh, jailings. Very famously, when the persecution of Falun Gong started, they had to house them in stadiums. And they were rounding people up because they didn't have enough room. And so what quickly happened, what quickly became apparent is that for Jiang Zemin to persecute one out of every 13 Chinese people, and Falun Gong spread all across the country, right? It's not as it's not like Uyghurs where you're, you're just mostly in Xinjiang. Falun Gong was in every province and every city. And so he needed to create an infrastructure of persecution for Falun Gong. And so he created uh, the 610 office, which is an extra legal force. It's the Gestapo of China, which had reported directly to him out, outside the law and a total blank check budget. And so what they did was they set up you know, black jails, brainwashing centers, basically torture sites, um, even an infrastructure that we later learned was used for forced organ harvesting um, through the military hospitals. And so they spent an enormous amount of budget on this. And through the 610 office, um, you know, Jiang Zemin persecuted millions of practitioners, potentially, you know, many, many, many deaths recorded, 4,800 deaths from torture. But that number is, is, is not the real number. That's just the one we can prove. And so his legacy is one of, you know, destroying tens and tens of millions of lives and creating countless deaths. Falun Dafa was first introduced to the public as a form of Qigong or spiritual meditation called Falun Gong in China in 1992. It was once promoted by Beijing and state media as part of a nationwide Qigong craze. Qigong is a kind of ancient Chinese exercise and healing technique. They invited uh, teacher, uh, the teacher and founder Mr. Li Hongzhi to teach it in France at the embassy, for instance, to introduce it to the West. It was praised by the premier, Zhu Rongji. So there's a lot of promotion of Falun Gong in society, and they're getting a lot of benefits, health benefits, uh, these moral benefits. And, and for once, it was something that was really Chinese. It was about kind of cultivation and these Taoist, Buddhist roots going back to that. And so the Chinese people, uh, you know, at that time, when it's spreading, can feel a lot of hope and, and, and ability to practice, like actually use the Chinese constitution freedom of belief. According to Ben, that is until Jiang turned the whole state against them and started mass jailing and torturing the group. In 2002, a group of Falun Gong practitioners hijacked a local television broadcast in Chongchun. Their goal? To air a video opposing Beijing's negative portrayal of the practice. Some of those involved ended up imprisoned, tortured, or killed. When you're someone that witnesses that, and you grow up with that in China, what is your understanding of your freedom of or your freedom of speech. You don't have freedom. You don't have freedom of, like, if you see that the government can turn on 100 million people, 
that all, all believe in, you know, truthfulness, compassion, tolerance, what are they going to do to you? What chance do you have? Ben says the persecution against Falun Gong that Jiang initiated has had major effects on Chinese society. The Falun Gong was the fastest growing spiritual movement in Asian history, going from zero to 100 million in um, seven years. When you think about that growth track, this is pre-internet, pre-virality. This is word of mouth, heart to heart. And so you have this whole changing of the fabric of Chinese society that's starting to believe in truthfulness, compassion, tolerance on a massive scale, right? One out of 13 people. This is obviously very different than Marx's theory of atheism, struggle, violence, right? So that's changing the fabric of Chinese society to lean more towards their true Chinese roots and, and things that are quite good, objectively quite good. And so when Jiang Zemin decides personally to start the persecution of Falun Gong, that really brings China back to the darkest ages, to, to you know Maoist days or Cultural Revolution days, where you're turning the terror and the violence against fellow citizens. And so when we, when we talk about openness, we really should be talking about openness within China's ability for their citizens to exercise their constitutional rights of freedom of belief, Chinese constitutional rights, freedom of belief, or freedom of speech. And so, you know, if you ask me, I think an interesting question would be if Zhang had not started the persecution of Falun Gong, how many people will be practicing in 2009? If you, if you look at the growth track, right, zero to 100 million, one out of 13 in seven years, what does the growth track look like in, in the next 10 years? Would one out of five people be practicing? So how would that change the fabric of Chinese society if they weren't caught up in this, you know, kind of CCP trap of, um, you know, fear and, 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 and kind of struggle that they have the Chinese people in? Ben says the effect has been traumatic and that similar tactics are now being used in China against Uyghurs, Tibetans and Christians. Are you, are you going to feel comfortable to speak out? What power do you have to believe that you have any rights in Chinese society when you see that? And what lingering effect does that have on Chinese society as a whole? That's, that's a lot of the goal of the persecution, right? Is to get an iron fist on Chinese society, is the corruption that, that Zhang started, and is just that, to maintain power through, through violence. Ben says the mechanisms Zhang set up to persecute Falun Gong practitioners are still in place, but following his death... Perhaps that gives an opportunity to people to not follow down the path that the mechanisms he created, but I would appeal more towards the Chinese people, right? Even right now today, you know, estimates of 20 to 40 million practitioners in China running over 200,000 material sites going door to door, street to street in the dead of night to deliver what is the truth. It's almost like an underground media network to tell people this is still going on, you know, and, and, and what's really happening because Chinese Communist Party. So I would appeal to those people, to the Chinese people, to have, you know, their conscience raised um, rather than I would anything to the to the CCP. Falun Gong practitioners still face persecution in China today. NTD News. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. Enjoy the rest of your holiday.